Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be a Better Investor podcast. My name is Raik van Niekerk and in this podcast series I speak to leading professional investors and business leaders about investments and we also take a peek into their personal investment portfolios and why they have invested in certain assets. We try to understand how they analyze investment opportunities, what companies and assets they invest in and whether they have more hits than misses. And the idea is to identify a few golden nuggets of wisdom to help amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Nolan Wapenaar. He is the co-chief investment officer at Anchor Capital. He is also the head of fixed income. Before joining Anchor, he was the head of fixed income at Efficient Select. He has been in the fixed income business since 1999. And in his previous life, he was also a Deutsche Bank as the head of North American Bank Restructuring and head of European Structured Credit Finance, also at Deutsche Bank. He is a chartered accountant. Nolan, thank you so much for your time today. It has been quite a journey. But first of all, let's start off with where you come from and when were you first exposed to investments? Good afternoon. Thank you, Raik. It's actually quite a privilege to be here, I guess. It's been a journey. It's been a very unusual journey, which in itself is actually quite nice and maybe gives me a different perspective on things. I don't know when the investment bug bit, to be honest. You know, thinking back, I remember when I was a kid, I'm talking like 10 years old maybe. I remember whenever I went to my grandfather's house, he had this pile of old newspapers, Sunday Times, and I'd sit and sort of page through the stock pages. The JC pages were a lot bigger in those days. And, you know, look at the prices of shares. I take out two different newspapers, compare how share prices had moved over the time. I'm not convinced I actually really knew what I was doing, but I just found it interesting. I found it fascinating. And it was just something that was in my blood from a very young age. Did you engage your grandfather on how to approach investments? Was there some interaction? So there was a little bit of interaction. He actually worked for First Rand back in the day, and part of his role was actually providing leverage on investments and monitoring share prices of the collateral for the loans and so on. So we engaged, but I think that was sort of the extent of his familiarity. And in terms of looking at it and deciding what's a good share, what's a bad share, what's a good asset class, what's a bad asset class, that's something I had to learn years later as I sort of went through university and then, you know, the hard knocks of life, I guess. Sometimes there are a few curveballs for people to actually get into a particular industry and to build a career. But when did you realize, listen, I want to be a professional investor. I want to be in this business 8, 10, 14 hours a day. I think that happened during my auditing career. As you said, I'm a chartered accountant and that means I audited for a number of years. And... You know, I was lucky enough to have a reasonably wide array of different companies that I audited. I did a beer manufacturer, I looked at a car manufacturer, and I audited a couple of banks. And it very, very quickly became apparent to me that, you know, I enjoyed financial services. I enjoyed the banks. I enjoyed the banking environment. I loved auditing the treasury desks because these were the guys who were trading, who were out there making markets. 
And it was just something that really spoke to my soul. So I sort of pushed my career in that direction during my days at Pricewaterhouse. And, you know, I got lovely exposure to interest rate trading desks, equity trading desks, gold trading desks, just off the top of my head, forex trading desks. And I was able to get a bit of a feel and a bit of an understanding as to, you know, how the different asset classes worked, what the advantages were, how people thought about them. And that probably is where I really learned the bulk of the technical knowledge that I have today. Now, trading is a fantastic learning school and many professional investors did spend a lot of time in front of computer screens and trying to make money through a relatively short-term trading. But when did you make the move to the more longer-term aspect of investments? So again, that's probably something that happened over time. I can't point to it. So after I'd finished my auditing days, I joined RMB, Rand Merchant Bank, Division of First Rand now. And was an accountant there. It's kind of the natural progression, I guess, for CAs. But within probably two years, I found myself managing a proprietary bond portfolio for RMB. And the bond portfolio did well. I was having an incredible amount of fun. You know, it just made sense to me that this actually is just where I was happy. From there, a bit of a journey through Deutsche Bank running trading desks. But at the end of all of it, it's a very natural thing overseas that people will almost do an internship in banking and then move across to professional investing, hedge funds, long only funds or whatever. And it felt very natural at some point in time to say, right, I'd had enough of the banking environment and I wanted to move across to, you know, to the buy side of things, to the actual professional investing. That final transition probably took place about 10, 12 years ago. Many people outside of the industry would say there are so many investment segments. You know, you have equities, you have commodities, you've got fixed income, and they would maybe say that the bond market is a boring market. You know, the exciting investment segments would be equities or derivatives and even maybe forex. How would you describe the fixed income segment? Is it as boring as people may think? Rake, I'll be honest with you, I've never stood around a bry and had a long discussion of how much money I made buying an R2030 bond. It's just, bond guys don't do that. <laughs> That's an equity thing. And I think equity is more exciting because, you know, the values pop up and down a lot quicker, etc. That doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money in bonds in fixed income. It's just, you do it differently. It's a lot more procedural. It's a lot more technical, dare I say it. And as a result, it's far less sexy as a bond investor. So, yeah, I think if you're in it, you know, for the excitement and, you know, for having something to talk about around a bri, it's about derivatives, contracts for difference. It's about equities. But if you're looking at it from a holistic portfolio perspective, understand all asset classes, understand how they work. And there is a definite advantage to fixed income in many situations. Yeah, it should be a core of any, you know, individual, maybe in a later life stage, you know, saving for investments. But you've been in this, in the fixed income space for over, well, close to 25 years. Have you ever thought of maybe moving into a new segment? I'm having too much fun. I think I'm enjoying what I do. I find I'm still learning something new every day. I really enjoy the credit analysis that we're doing. So obviously we're spending a lot of time looking at companies at 
analyzing them? Are we prepared to lend money to them? It's got a fair amount of work to it. It's a fair amount of actual analysis and research. And that's kind of what gets me out of bed in the mornings. I think, if I may, one of the differences between equity investing and fixed income investing is that I often say our advantage in fixed income is we play defense very well. We make sure we don't get it wrong because the consequences of getting it wrong is quite severe on the portfolios. Whereas on the equity side, I think it's more about playing offense. It's about looking for the next opportunity, the company that's going to grow, plugging into that growth at the right price, et cetera. So you're kind of out there actively looking for the next opportunity, whereas we're constantly going and looking at our portfolio saying, what can go wrong? How do I defend against that? How do I position? You know, am I concerned about certain companies? Get out of them, et cetera. So it's a different mindset and it's just the mindset that suits my personality. Yeah, capital preservation. I think that is really critical. Warren Buffett say rule number one of investments is don't lose money. And that don't I, I would... lose money. And I tell you what, rules one through five of fixed income are don't lose money because making it back is so, so, so difficult in fixed income. Let's talk about retail investors. This podcast is aimed at young professionals who enter the job market. They receive their first salary. They may get a bonus within their first year and they open an easy equities account typically. They want to start to invest and after they excitedly have opened their account, then the what now question hits them. How would you approach that what now problem? How would you identify potential investment opportunities and what are your views on that? You know, casting my mind back, how did I do it? And I sat down and asked myself, what do I want to achieve? And at the time, I wanted about a quarter of my portfolio to be exciting, these sort of 10 baggers that were going to make me very rich. And I wanted the balance of it just to be nice, steady, eddy type companies. So I went out and looked for those and, of course, got it wholly wrong at the time. So my steady eddies proved not to be so steady. But, you know, it really is about... Deciding what you're trying to achieve with the particular equities you're buying, it's about then identifying a universe of a handful of companies that meet those requirements. And it's about rolling up your sleeves, figuring out what those companies do, figuring out what their balance sheets look like, figuring out what their growth opportunities are and you know how defensive their business models are and picking one or two or three of those. Let's talk about portfolio structure. Say you have 100,000 Rand in your portfolio, cash in your portfolio. How would you invest that amount? How many shares would you buy and how would you diversify it? Let's pretend for a second I'm only looking at the JSE. Now, my first comment to you would be take half of that money and actually buy a unit trust that invests in offshore markets and their variety of those around. But let's ignore that for a second. I want to do it myself. What am I going to do? I'm realistically looking for probably 15 to 20 companies that I can look at. I'm buying South African companies, and that means I'm going to probably want to own one or two commodity companies, maybe look at the bigger companies in South Africa, and then I'm going to try and sort of spread the rest of it around the industrials slash retailers slash banks to get a decent sort of spread of those individual companies. So what am I really going to do? I'm probably going to try and pick the best of breed bank best of breed retailer, best of breed commodity company, and start investing towards those. What I will caution is don't do it all yourself. It's taken me 25 years. I still make mistakes. So 
you know, I think it's fun to start with. I certainly did it. It was great, but it was expensive. And I would certainly start putting a portion of my savings to professional investors as well. I think that is a theme that it's not easy. It's not, I think we've went through periods in history, like in the late 90s and the mid-2000s, where you could buy anything and you will see the prices go up. And those days are, at least for now, behind us. But do you think young people should try and obviously add a or include a, a unit trust, maybe an index tracker of the U.S. markets or world markets? They should also own shares. Could that be part of a portfolio as maybe part of a learning curve? I think owning shares as part of your portfolio as a learning curve is great. You just want to make sure it's kind of the right size for your particular portfolio. So you don't want your entire retirement egg sitting in sort of privately managed shares that you're running. However, absolutely, you know, a little bit of money to experiment with, to learn with. Realize that you've probably got limited experience. So it's probably not going to go too fantastically initially unless you're quite lucky. But certainly, you know, dip your toes in, experience the markets, experience the excitement and the fun of what we do. And in time, actually, as you learn things, it's going to get better and better. That being said, investing is also about long-term savings and a good portion of my money I would definitely keep in either ETFs or funds that invest in a variety of assets. And as you said, I would certainly focus on offshore funds right now. It's been tough in South Africa. Absolutely. That is very sound advice. Did you follow that approach when you started out? (laughs) Regrettably not. (laughs) As I said, I managed to make a lot of mistakes. It was expensive. Some of the stocks worked out okay. Some didn't, I guess. One mining company in particular, I'm still frustrated about 25 years later that I bought. You know, at the time, I think I had the bravado of a young person. And I was convinced I was smarter than the market and could find better shares than everybody else. So I went for it and I tried. And I think, fortunately, it was quite a small investment. Fortunately, most of the stocks I bought did okay. But nothing shot the lights out, unfortunately. So, you know, it it was sort of a portfolio that just sort of plodded along. I think you've summed it up correctly. You need to be lucky if you don't do the fundamental research. And I think most retail investors do not have the ability or the skills or the education to really go down and analyze annual financial reports and financial statements. And that increases their risk. Yeah, I don't want to say it increases their risk. I think it just results in a very sort of random outcome that might be very good, might not. I wouldn't necessarily say it increases their risk, but a lot of it is also time. If you look at Anchor, we've got a number of dedicated analysts who come in in the morning and their job is to absolutely dig through different companies, different earnings releases, what is happening with the companies to really be on top of it. Now, they're doing this eight to 10 hours a day. It's very tough for a retail investor to actually put that amount of time in to compete. Absolutely. Let's talk about your personal portfolio, and I'm not talking about savings towards investments, pension fund contributions, or retirement annuity contributions, your discretionary portfolio. Do you have one, and if so, what is your approach? So, what is my approach? Do I have one? Yes. I've got a stockbroking account. If I look at it, it's probably sitting about 60% in equities. It's sitting about 40% in fixed income. It's got a little bit offshore, probably not enough, but that's just me not done the right thing sometimes. In terms of what is my approach these days, I think there are a handful of shares that I want to own outright for myself. For instance, I own shares in Anchor because I work out, it makes sense to do that. But outside of a couple of very specific situations, 
I actually these days put the money into unit trusts and just let professionals look after me. Yeah, that is a sound approach. Okay, now for the question that always elicits a giggle, but what has been your worst investment you have ever made, the one you don't really want to talk about around the braai? Yeah, I still don't want to talk about it around the braai, do I? <laughs> but we're not around the braai now. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the company. It sort of struck it from memory and horror. But back in the day, probably about 10 years ago, I bought myself some shares in a company that was doing shale gas exploration in North America. And, you know, this is when oil prices were going high, shale was the new word, you know, their financial statements were covered in things like new shale findings, opportunities, greenfields, etc. And I was like, yeah, I've got to get hold of some of this, it makes a lot of sense. And I put a fair amount of money into it, I won't say a devastating amount, but, you know, enough that it hurt. And, of course, the shale bubble popped. Nobody's talking about shale anymore. It's almost a forgotten industry. And the company pretty much declared bankruptcy within a year of my investment. So that one certainly is the one that's sort of stung me the most, let's put it that way. And your best one, the one you're the most proud of? Mm. Have there been so many? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just trying to think of which, which one to talk about. But MTN is a fun one. So back in the day when I was all starry-eyed and young, not a grey hair in sight, I came across MTN and they just started building an operation in Nigeria. The share was trading, I think, like seven rand or nine rand a share. And that one just tickled me. You know, it was well run at the time. And, you know, I managed to put some money into MTN. Not enough, not enough in retrospect. And I probably sold out too soon. But... You know, that share went from like just under 10 rand a share to well over 100 a couple of years later. So there are winner stories out there as well. I think if you're in the investment world, be prepared for winners or hope for winners, but be prepared for losers. That is just the nature of the game. Hopefully your yield on those exceeds the losses you make on the poor investments. Because there's no silver bullet, and I think that is critical. Even professional investors get it wrong more often than people would think, but then they hit those winners very, very hard. Do you agree with that? From an equity perspective, yes. I mean, from a fixed income perspective, as I said, first rule of the game is don't lose money. From an equity perspective, you've got to accept that, you know, most of your stocks are actually going to bumble around and do nothing. And in a portfolio of 20, if you can find three or four that are going to shoot the lights out, you're actually going to have a good season. That's kind of the way I think about equity investing. And I'm pretty sure our equity guys here at Anchor are going to come and knock on my door shortly to say they disagree, but that's fine. Nolan, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insights with us. Thank you very much. That was Nolan Wapenaar. He is the co-chief investment officer at Anchor Capital. Show me the money. That was the Money Web, the A Better Investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. Money Web, your trusted source for business and investment insights.